I always say there's three steps to it, which is to stop the conditioning. Step two is to just start moving forward. And then step three is to actually start negotiating. So the first part is to stop that conditioning is just to stop the retreat, stop moving backward. And that's how you start to shift that paradigm. That's how you start to turn it around. And how you stop that is you start saying things like, this is not okay. This is not okay for me. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to our episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Rebecca Zung. Rebecca is one of the top 1% attorneys in the nation and one of the world's leading experts on the subject of narcissism. And today's episode is going to be a deep dive on the subject of narcissism. Today, we're going to talk about what a narcissist is, as well as what a narcissist is not. We're going to chat about the dynamics of a narcissistic relationship so that you can know if you're in a relationship with one. We're going to talk about how to deal with a narcissist, how to communicate with one, and how to know when it's time to cut somebody off, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going, and welcome Rebecca Zung to the Adversity Advantage Podcast. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I think to start, it's a buzzword now. And I think it's become such a buzzword that in a way it's almost in some cases lost its sense of importance a little bit because it gets thrown around so much. And that that word is narcissism. And I know over the last several years, you've really positioned yourself as one of the world's like leading experts on the subject of narcissism and given your background as an attorney and everything you've done professionally, you're like the perfect person to talk to about this. So like what is narcissism and what isn't narcissism? I guess that's a good place for for us to start. So I like to kind of give a sort of a lay person's definition of narcissism rather than like a a DSM-5 definition of narcissism. So, you know, it's on a spectrum and, you know, I kind of think of it as a spectrum. I mean, at the very end of us, because we all kind of have an amount of narcissism in us. And it's not that, you know, we all want to be seen, heard, and know that we matter. That doesn't make you a narcissist. That just makes you a human. And that's okay, you know, it's okay to want to be seen, heard, and know that you matter, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's really when you get to the end of the spectrum and you want to be the only thing that is seen, heard, and matter to the detriment of anyone else. And what happens is you you have to picture a person who's almost totally and completely, they feel totally and completely empty inside. Like there's a black hole deep inside of them that can never be filled. It's like a bottomless black pit inside of them. And it's almost like they're starving, gasping for breath, desperate for air, desperate to survive. They're in scarcity mode all the time. And then you come along and they want you to fill this hole and and you might want to fill it too, right? And so you're over there trying to fill the hole. They want you to fill the hole because they're trying to use external sources to fill this deep emptiness inside of them. But it's like there's a sieve in there. It cannot be filled ever, 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 because they, they... It's just this black hole. And so you're left feeling totally and completely depleted. They still feel empty. And it's just this pattern. And so they're just in this survival mode all the time because they're trying to fill everything from external sources. And they're in this scarcity mode to the utmost extreme. And that's why they can't 
feel anything about anyone else. That's why they have no empathy. It's because they're in survival mode all the time. That's how I define it. It's a pretty good definition. And I think that's, it's very common that you hear a lot of those things when it comes to people that may or may have um, narcissism. And I think I want to kind of differentiate some things because I think some of what you said can also be sometimes used interchangeably and get and confused with things like somebody who's just insecure, somebody who maybe just experienced a lot of trauma when they when they were growing up and maybe they're in survival mode because they haven't like worked through that, or people that just need this constant validation because, you know, maybe they just are feeling anxious or fearful or, or whatever. So like, what's the difference between someone who's just feeling insecure and needing a lot of attention and somebody who's a true narcissist? Well, again, it's that spectrum, right? Because it's this person who's all the way to the end of the spectrum. So, you know, you have people, and by the way, it can vacillate. It can change at different times in your life. From I'm in the process of writing a book on how to negotiate with a narcissist right now. And so if you saw what was going on in this room that I'm in right now, you would see literally hundreds of books on narcissism all around me. But it can change at different times in your life. You know, if you're sick, you actually feel more selfish at different times in your life. And, and so it can vacillate, it can change. And there is actually a healthy amount of narcissism that you can have in your life and and it can serve you to a certain extent but it's when you're pathologically narcissistic all the time that's when it's just not healthy when you just literally are stuck all the way at the end of the spectrum all the time and you just never can get out of that place enough to ever see anything or feel anything about anyone else. And you're completely distorted in your view all the time. And you have these grandiose fantasies and just constantly in this place. And yeah, we all have insecurities and we all have had trauma and we've all had, if you don't have that and you're not willing to admit that, then, you know, you're just lying to yourself. I mean, we all have that, right? But it's when you have this, you know, they have this deep, fragile little inner self that they're constantly trying to protect. And there's almost like a fracture between that little fragile inner self and this outer self that they've created, this false self that they've created to layer on and there's almost like two sides to their personality. Therein lies the, the massive difference between them and, and what I call regular reasonable people. And the problem is that their brains are literally different than regular reasonable people's brains. Because what happened in their childhood, what happened in their childhood, and by the way, we're talking about roughly 15% of the population who either are have narcissistic personality disorder or some kind of antisocial personality disorders that cause people to lack empathy or just don't have the ability to have empathy for others, according to the DSM-5 Diagnosis and Statistical Manual that is used by psychiatrists and psychologists to actually diagnose personality disorders. 15% of the population. And what I say is if each one of those people emotionally abuses just three people in their lifetimes, that ends up being 3.4 billion people on the planet, which is roughly half. And I think that's low. I think that's low. I mean, it's going to be more than three, right? So what happens is when their children, they are exposed to some kind of trauma. And when, you know, whether it's their parents, something happened with their parents, something happened, but they were constantly in fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. Something happened to them in childhood. And so now they've grown up 
and their brains are literally different. And so when certain stimuli are presented to them that reminds them of that or causes them to feel threatened in some way, they go back into survival mode and, and it causes that narcissistic injury to be triggered and they go into narcissistic rage and all hell breaks loose and they go crazy and it causes them to literally act, react, and think in different ways than regular, reasonable people think. And that is why applying the rules of communication and and negotiation to dealing with narcissists do not work and will never work. There's so much that I want to unpack there. And I think I would say that most people listening to this show, when they've either dealt or going to be dealing with a narcissist, I would gather it's probably going to be on a personal level. It's what I've heard a lot. It's very common where people either have family members that are narcissists. They either have people that they've been in relationships. They have friends that they've commented on their tendencies to to be narcissistic or be a narcissist. And with that, I know you mentioned that it's kind of it's a spectrum, and and people can kind of vacillate between like either the extremes or just going up and down the continuum. And I would say that that most that a lot of the people that when they're in a relationship with a narcissist or somebody close to them is like deep down inside, they still like love and care about that person because they've seen either the good parts, they saw how they used to be, or they see the potential in them and they want to try and and change them. Knowing what you know about narcissism and in your even in your own experience, like what is the possibility or probability of somebody with using the right style of communication, negotiation tactics, like being able to change a narcissist? Oh, you're not. You're not going to. You're not going to change them. The only thing you can change is your response, your understanding of how they think. I mean, just think about what it is I just said. Their brains are literally different. They were bathed in these chemicals. They go into this emotional response. And so you have to understand that that is what you're dealing with. And so you, number one, can't take it personally. Number two, have to understand that you're not going to change them. Number three, don't ever assume that you can go, I'm going to apply the rules of regular reasonable communication here and think that they're ever going to work because they're not. But there are things that I can do that will work, but you're going to have to you know, understand that it's going to be a very different set of rules. But no, forget about getting them to see your side. Forget about getting closure. Forget about them acknowledging what you've done for them. Forget about getting them to, you know, see how wonderful you've been and all that you've put into the relationship and all of that. They're not going to see that. They're just not, no matter how hard you try. And they're not going to turn around and suddenly go, wow, I can't believe, you know, they're not going to become self-aware. They don't have that ability. They just don't. And it's so unsatisfying as a regular, reasonable person. You know, you're going to just have to give that kind of closure to yourself. Okay. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I guess it all it comes in, in line with like kind of what you hear is the fact that A, you can't change somebody and B, like if they don't have the self-aware, their own self-awareness, they don't have the cognitive ability to kind of know what they're doing is, is wrong or hurting somebody or not allowing them to grow, like there's going to be no point in trying to like reason with them or say anything that's going to, in your mind, try to get them to change. And I think when it comes to dealing with a narcissist, 
like how do you know when it's time to just completely walk away versus being like all right i can tolerate like seeing this person a few times a year i can tolerate being out with them when they're with other people because maybe they're not as mean or as abusive or whatever like when does a line get crossed that somebody needs to completely cut that person off we will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second but first wanted to give a quick shout out to danette may and earth echo foods danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com slash Doug Again, it's earthechofoods.com slash Doug to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Well, I mean, I guess it just depends on what kind of a relationship you're talking about here, right? I mean, it, you know, are we talking about your mother? Or are we talking about your your friend? Are we talking about, you know, who are we talking about here? I guess that, you know, it really just depends. But clearly, you're going to have to have very, very well-defined boundaries, for sure. Narcissists do not respect boundaries. And you certainly don't want to be in business with a narcissist at all. And, you know, being married to one is, I would say, highly not recommended. You know, Surgeon General warnings, you know, I always kind of joke like very uh, bad for your health. You know, you definitely don't want to be in business with that. I mean, you know, anything that's going to be where they're going to be up in your wallet or in your health or in your life or anything like that, you definitely don't want. I mean, they will literally drain the life out of you. They will. I mean, that's what they do. They are energy vampires. And so by the time you're done, you will feel like they've sucked at your soul. So... You don't want to have any kind of a relationship with them where you're going to allow that. But if it's some kind of a situation where, uh, you know, you know, it's a person that, you know, you're only going to see a few times a year and you can have some pretty strict boundaries and you can, the only type of a person that a narcissist actually respects is a person who they can't get at a person that keeps their distance from them, a person who doesn't give them that that time of day, who doesn't give them that supply that they're desperate to have, you know? Right. So for the person that doesn't necessarily need to be in a relationship, in any sort of relationship with that narcissist, let's just use like the parent, for example. Like, I mean, it's it's a lot harder, I would think, to cut your mom or your dad out of your life completely than it would be like just a friend that you might see a few times a year. And so in the instance where it's the friend you see a few times a year, maybe it's somebody you work with. I mean, do you just recommend just not engaging with them at all, not even playing into that relationship and just over time, like it's just completely being cut off? Well, if it's a friend because, I mean, based on what you've said about what a narcissist is, like, why would anyone want to be friends with anybody like that? You know what? Here's one thing that I say all the time. Defend your light with your life. Defend your light with your life. So if there is a way that you can keep that fence completely closed and you know that you're interacting with a person on your terms and you can have a conversation with that person, but that person ain't penetrating, you know, then fine. 
But you got to make sure that you know how to have a conversation and interact with that person in a way that they do not trigger you, you know, that you've done the work and you are so grounded and you are so whole and you are so complete with yourself that that person is not triggering you at all. You're almost observing them as if you are a third party. And this is what I tell people, you know, look at them almost as if you would look at a toddler having a tantrum on the floor. You know, if you looked at somebody's two-year-old or even if it's your own two-year-old or whatever, having a tantrum on the floor, you wouldn't go, oh my God, I got to get down there with them. I I have to have a tantrum with them on the floor, you know, and, and you would be so triggered by that and upset too and down there in the mud with them or whatever. You wouldn't do that, right? You would just be looking at them. You'd almost sort of laugh. Like, you'd kind of think it was funny at how the kid's crying and screaming, right? That's how you almost have to look at it because that's what they are. They're big toddlers having a tantrum because their emotional brain never matured. Got it. That's, That's some really valuable information, and I've definitely heard that before. And I think you're right. Like you have to do the work and be able to control yourself to the best of your ability to not get entangled in these games or getting these hostile text battles or phone conversations and dialogues that end up not only draining your energy, but it almost becomes like this game in my experience where you're trying to like win and you're trying to always get the last word in with that person. You're never going to get the last word. And you're just going to, at the end of the day, like you said, you feel like you've just run like three marathons in a row and you have zero energy and you're like, what the heck just happened? I just had like a 30 minute conversation. Like I know I didn't just work out. So what are some steps that somebody can take? I want to get kind of tactical to when they're in a relationship with somebody that they care about or they're around somebody they, they really care about that might fit the mold of what you're describing, how can they not be emotionally reactive? Like, what are some steps that you advise people to take? What are some steps that you take so that you can kind of take a step back, you know, shift your perspective and either respond logically or not respond at all? There are certain phrases that you can start to have in your arsenal of phrases, you know, in my slay program, which SLAY stands for Strategy, Leverage, Anticipate, and Focus on You. But in my program, I actually have a 50 key phrases that you can use. But there are certain phrases that you can start to use that also help. They're, they are not only helpful to use, but they also help you to start disengaging by just helping you to start realizing that you can observe their behavior by saying things like, I can see that you're upset. You know, I can see that you're angry. And maybe you could explain to me why you're so angry. You know, because sometimes they're raging at you. And I want to just kind of stop and explain a lot of times what happens is that the people that end up in relationships with narcissists are often empathic people. You know, there's a symbiotic relationship between empaths and narcissists. And empaths are often people who have their own trauma, their own wounds, their own issues. And so, you know, there's also an element of maybe I'm not worthy. It's difficult sometimes for empaths to stick up for themselves, to stand up for themselves, to say, to express, you know, anything. And so I think just just the act of starting to say, just to even start to express, this is not productive conversation. I'm going to remove myself from this until we can have more productive conversation. Just the act of starting to to say things like that just helps people who are empathic to start feeling more strong, to start feeling, you know, I always say there's kind of like three steps to starting to feel more powerful, which is to stop, 
first of all, because when narcissists start the relationship, there's that love bombing initially where they're they're coming at you and they, they're so charming and they're so, I mean, and they make you feel like you're the most amazing, uh, incredible human, most special person that they've ever met. And they come on so strong. It's so intoxicating and they rock your world. And especially if you've been, you know, had your own childhood stuff or whatever, it's so, it feels so good to have somebody who's like, thinks you're so incredible, right? And then all of a sudden it's this cold, right? They back off and they're ghosting you and it's this hot, cold, hot, cold. It's love bomb to value, love bomb to value. And then, which is even more toxic, by the way, which I can get into that whole thing. And then there's this whole toxic stew is love bomb to value, discard, love bomb to value, discard. And so you're in the middle and your brain is literally this toxic stew of craziness, which is also why it's very, very difficult to negotiate or communicate in a regular, reasonable person way with narcissists. And so I always say there's kind of three steps to it, which is to stop the conditioning. And then step two is to just start moving forward. And then step three is to actually start negotiating. So the first part is to stop that conditioning is just to stop the retreat, stop moving backward. And, and then, you know, that's how you start to shift that paradigm. That's how you start to turn it around. And how you stop that is, you know, you just start saying things like, this is not okay. This is not okay for me. You know, I would like to resume this conversation when we can calm down. You know, and and sometimes if you're an empathic person or you're a person who's been in relationship with a narcissist for any period of time, just that act alone can start to make you feel better, can start to help you breathe better, can start to make you go, you know, look at me, I did that and I feel better. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that all makes sense. And I think that what happens is a lot of people, they're just, I think, maybe they're not as informed on the subject of narcissism. So they either get it confused with, with selfishness or they get it confused with somebody who's just a little egotistical or arrogant or self or, or super confident or whatever. I mean, those terms in many ways often get interchanged that I don't think it's the right way to, I don't think it's the right way to talk about narcissism. And I also think that the people are just so caught up in their own stuff sometimes that they don't have the self-awareness to really even think or know that what's going on in their life is even innately bad. They just think that they're just going through a rough patch in a relationship or that this is just their person or they often feel like they're the culprit. And that's like one of the things that I've learned and heard that narcissists do is they make you almost like the way that they feel. They may try to make you feel like they're feeling right. They almost make it seem like if they're saying, why are you always so angry? Like really what they're saying is, why am I always so angry? So could you explain like projection like that? And how people cannot like feel so, I guess, insane sometimes when they're communicating with somebody like that because it's often like polar opposite of what's actually going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, they use a lot of different tactics. Gaslighting is one of them and projection is, you know, I kind of think of it as a form of gaslighting because it's really just crazy making. And gaslighting is a favorite of all narcissists. And there's different kinds of narcissists, by the way. So there's a grandiose and then there's a covert and, you know, there's different kinds of narcissists. But all narcissists use gaslighting. And the term actually comes from a play called Gaslight, which was also a movie Gaslight from the 30s where the husband was actually trying to make the wife think that she was crazy. And so what he would do is blow out these gaslights, and she would say, wasn't that just lit? And he would say, no, no, it wasn't. So, But that's what narcissists do. So they will 
take your reality and basically twist it so that it's not reality. And they will do it in, I mean, there's hundreds of ways that they do it, but projection, deflection, blaming, shaming. I mean, there's so many different ways that they do it. And, you know, basically, you know, they'll say things like, oh, I didn't know you were going away that weekend. We didn't talk about that. Oh, yeah, we talked about that and you agreed. We never talked about that. Oh, yeah, we did. We had a whole conversation about it and you agreed. And you're like, what? You know, that kind of thing. I don't like those text messages in your phone. They look really, really suggestive. It seems like you are having a relationship with this person that is inappropriate. Oh, you are really reading too much into it. You are totally paranoid and, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, things like that. I mean, it's just whatever your reality is, it's just that's not reality. I mean, and there's so many different ways that they do it, but that's narcissist in a nutshell. I think that this is why it's so important to take a step back, kind of like you said, and really reevaluate the situation and how you're handling it so that you can kind of know what's real and what's not to the best of your ability. Because I think if you're just caught in that cycle, you're just going to keep believing that what they're saying is real because you have no other perspective. You really don't have you're so emotionally charged and caught up in it that you're you're not going to be able to respond to the best of your ability either because you're not practicing the pause, you're not stopping these toxic patterns yourself and then you're just kind of playing into the the game and like fueling that fire of that narcissistic relationship and then you just end up completely just feeling like you're going crazy constantly constantly yeah. because your sense of reality is is warped Totally warped. Totally. And they make you feel like it's your fault for everything and nothing you do is ever good enough and you're never smart enough and you're, it's, you're just never enough no matter what you do. It's never enough. And you just always feel like you're small and stupid and, uh, you know, and they lie constantly and you just feel paranoid and paralyzed and they just... They're constantly lying and you're just always wondering what they're doing behind your back. They isolate you and they say things like everyone else thinks this and no one else thinks that. And so you just feel like they've got everyone else lined up on their side, believing them and against you. And, you know, they constantly interrupt you. And, you know, so it's just this horrible, horrible situation, but then they're not always bad. There are times that they can be wonderful again. And this is so it's just hot, hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. So it really does a number on your brain, you know, with your dopamine and all this other stuff. I mean, it's, it's so, so toxic. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned that like empaths often are like great magnets for narcissists. What I've learned in my own experience is like former drug addicts are as well because it's like playing roulette, right? And, you know, obviously when you're doing, I've been in recovery for, for almost 14 years and I just can see the parallels of like, when you want to get high, you're like, how am I going to feel when I do this? Am I going to feel better? Am I going to be as high? Is it going to feel as good? Like, what am I going to do? What's the future going to go look like? And and that sort of thing. And with the narcissist, what I've learned is like, you're almost like playing roulette. Like, oh, how are they going to appear today? Are they going to be nice to me? Are they going to be kind to me? And you end up getting in this toxic battle with the hot and cold, like you said, the good and the bad, where like stuff that's just like normal begins to feel like really good for you. Like them just like saying, I love you or saying hello, like feels so good because you're used to so much bad that. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I don't want to interrupt you, but I am so glad you brought that up because I wasn't going to bring this up, but just because I didn't want to get too technical, but I'm so glad you brought that up because there's actually a study from a Stanford professor named Robert Sapolsky, and he did a study on the brains of people who've been victims of narcissists. And basically what happens is like monkeys basically when they get 
he, he did a study on monkeys. And if they got a treat every single time, nothing happened with their brains. Nothing. If they got a treat intermittently, like they didn't know when they were going to get it, like for doing something good or whatever, the dopamine levels in their brain, just from the anticipation that they might get the treat, the dopamine levels in their brain rose to the same level as people on cocaine. So we, people who have been in relationships with narcissists, actually become physiologically addicted to narcissists. And that is how we become trauma-bonded to them. So it's different than people who are in relationships with regular reasonable people. And that's why when people say, why can't I leave them? Why am I still hooked on them? Why do I keep thinking about them? All of that, it's because we actually become physiologically addicted to when they're actually going to come back and say, I love you again, or when they're going to come back and give attention again, or like just exactly what it is that you were talking about. It's like a dog chasing its own tail. Like the dog is, it's never going to get the tail. And that's kind of what happens in the addiction cycle, right? And what I often will say is it's like, there's this time where you, you start doing drugs and you spend like a good a bit of time, like trying to reach that same high that you got initially or even a bigger high and it really doesn't come and then like the the continuum shifts and now you're almost doing the drugs and doing more of those drugs to cope with the fact that you started doing drugs and i think it parallels a little bit to what we're talking about with narcissism and this is just from personal experience and that the relationship is so good at the beginning and it's unlike anything you've ever experienced at the beginning like it's literally like the best ever like when it's the best that when it gets bad, you remember all you do is you're like you're so blindsided and almost confused. You're like, how do like what happened? Like what did I what, like what just happened? And then what can I do? How can I act if I become more kind or if I spend more money? If I do this, will the relationship get back to the beginning? And then you end up like going down the same kind of a cycle with addiction where it just becomes like worse and worse and worse and worse. And now you're. You're almost like being nicer to the person just for them to give you like basic human decency. And it completely can crush your soul if you're not careful. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, oh, today was a good day just because it was a smooth day because they weren't horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, please, just I just, I just need some peace today. Please get some peace. And then I think the problem though, and this is like something, this is like some words of wisdom is that if you're not careful, you slowly become like more emotionally reactive because you're so burnt out, you're constantly stressed, you're constantly anxious, and it can affect like your work life, it can affect your health, it can affect kids, like, it can affect all of that if you're not careful. So maybe speak to that like as, as far as like, because I know there's probably people that are saying, oh, it's okay, I can deal with it, I can deal with it, or they'll get better. But like, maybe talk like about like some of the risks that can happen like for you personally, if that person stays in it too long. Oh, well, I mean, you can become, you can get CPTSD, which is, you know, it's different than PTSD. I mean, it's, it's literally a long time, long form of PTSD. And it can actually cause all kinds of things. I mean, you can end up with immune disorders and, I mean, it can really, really affect your health. I mean, so clearly it is not something, I mean, I always tell people staying is, you know, I always say you have three options, which is to stay, which is highly not recommended. And I'm, I was kidding, but not kidding about the, it will affect your health and you need to get out of this relationship, whether it's a business relationship or a personal relationship. Or number two, which is to leave and take exactly what it is that they want to give you, which is also a trick, by the way, because they will never leave, let you leave because as long as they're getting some form of narcissistic supply from you, they will never let you leave. And number three is to 
fight back, but do it in a way that's super strategic, which is what I teach people how to do. And, you know, strategy, leverage, anticipate, and focus on you, which is my slay methodology, which definitely does work. And, you know, I've helped you know, millions of people through my YouTube channel now and thousands of people through my slave programs. I mean, it definitely does work if you work it. And it's because I figured out how they think. And if you try to apply regular, reasonable people thinking to narcissists, you will fail every single time. But most people think, you know, oh, you can't negotiate with narcissists. You can't deal with narcissists. Well, that's true if you're trying to do it in a regular, reasonable people way. But, you know, you have to do it in a way that's super strategic. And so what I figured out is there are really two different forms of narcissistic supply. And that is what I call diamond-level supply, which is how narcissists look to the world, which they will protect and defend at any cost— at any cost. So that's going to be your major source of leverage. And then there's the what I call the dark underbelly of narcissistic supply, which also feeds their ego, which also feeds them, which they also love, which is, you know, jerking you around, which is they also will do whatever they can to keep that. But in negotiations... You've got to figure out your leverage is really going to be figuring out a way to threaten a source of supply that they're going to protect, that's more going to be more important for them to protect than the source of supply that they get from jerking you around. And that's you know where you have to build your strategy, and that's what I teach people how to do. And it always works because they will protect how they look always over jerking you around. They'll let go of jerking you around if they have to, but only as a last resort. So what types of people would you say is it worth like engaging with if they are a, a narcissist? Like I know you, you said you talk about the slay method and we've talked, to, we've, we've talked about it on the show and we've talked about how to change your perspective and your communication style when dealing with one. But like I'm listening to this and I'm, for me, I'd be like, all right, I wouldn't even waste my time. Like I would just cut that person out of my life if they were, if didn't have a big meaning to me. And I just, why would I want to spend my energy like fighting with them? Right. Oh, well, some people don't have that choice though. So, right. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, what types of people would you say like it's worth or somebody has to stay in a relationship with a narcissist? Well, but some, for people who have to use my slay programs and things like that are the people who are divorcing narcissists or the people who are in business partnerships that are breaking up are the people who are in have narcissistic bosses or, or who are changing jobs from narcissists you know i mean there are quite a few people who need what i have to offer because they have no other choice you know who are in probate litigation because their sisters and brothers are fighting over something, you know. And so, there, yes, there are quite a few people who just have no choice, but they're negotiating with narcissists and they just have no choice. So, yeah, a lot of people can just go bye-bye and see you later and, and, and be done. So a lot of people don't have that option. Right. That's what I was trying to ask. As, as I know, we've kind of teeter-tottered on both things. We've talked about like kind of cutting somebody off and just that's like the best approach. But I know we've talked about your program. I wanted to kind of figure out like if somebody's listening to this and they're trying to decide like, do I engage in your program and really learn how to like deal with a narcissist or like, is this person somebody I really don't have to deal with and I can just slowly like use some of the tactics you talked about and cut them off. And I was just trying to make sure that that people understood like which path to go. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people who have to deal with narcissists at work still, or, or they have to deal with them with contracts. I mean, you know, maybe they're salespeople. They have them on a regular basis on the other side, you know? I mean, so they need to know how to deal with them. 
And I want to go back to something really quick. I think this word and narcissism often, they often get mixed. And I think they're much different by definition. A lot of times you'll see somebody who just like might, might post pictures of themselves, or maybe they just, you know, or, or always like talk about themselves and stuff like that. And people will just say, oh, they're a narcissist. And really, they're not a narcissist. They might just be selfish. Like, so what's the difference between like narcissism and somebody who's selfish? Well, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, which is, you know, you don't know what a person's heart is, you know. And so I would just say before, you know, you start calling a person a narcissist without knowing the person personally, without knowing who they are as a person and how they treat people in their personal life, you know, without knowing how they are. I wouldn't go around calling people a narcissist because it really is down to how is the person when they interact with the people in their lives. I mean, that's the true definition. Do they care about people? Do they have compassion for people? Do they have empathy for people? When somebody says, hey, my dog died, do they say what's for lunch and, you know, move on? I mean, although, you know, some some narcissists are very good at mirroring what people are supposed to do or whatever. But I mean, they like, truly care, you know? I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. Right. I like how you said that to essentially just not judge a book by its cover, because I think it's important to get to know somebody before like, you know, throwing out these names that in many ways become less meaningful to the real the people who really are struggling with somebody who's who's a narcissist or somebody who's in a narcissistic relationship or has a narcissistic boss and that the word just gets watered down more and more by people not getting to know somebody and just throwing out that term so loosely. And I know like we're as we come to bring our conversation to a close, we spent I would say most of the, the conversation talking about dealing with other people that are potentially narcissistic or or are um, narcissists. But I feel like there's a lot of people that have just become more narcissistic by nature, just based on social media, just based on this the, the movement that I think is very well intended in the self-help space to take care of ourselves first and apply boundaries and put ourselves first, 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 that I think sometimes people take that a little bit too far. So what are your, some of your best tips for somebody who's listening to this that says, you know what, like I'm really inspired. Like I'm not in a relationship with a narcissist. I'm not a narcissist that I know of, but I definitely like want to make sure that I'm being less narcissistic. Like what are some things they can do? Well, obviously, you know, care about the people who are around you and make sure that, especially having been in a relationship with a person who was a you know, my, I had a business partner who was a narcissist. I mean, it was very, very, very difficult for me. And so, you know, I just make sure for me that I surround myself with people who I love and I'm willing to put all my heart and soul into. And that I know that if I'm going to put 100% of my life and myself into, that I'm not going to feel used and abused. And that... I'm not going to feel taken advantage of and that I feel better and lighter and, and more amazing when I leave them. You know, you want to feel like you are around people who are throwing logs on your fire, right? Who are so excited for you, who are supporting you, who are happy for you, for you. And genuinely happy for you. And you can tell, you can tell when you have a posse of people around you who are excited for you and excited for your successes and excited for what's going on in your life and who are, so, you know, you want to keep your circle probably pretty small if that's what you're doing. And, you know, that's something that I do. I have a pretty strong spiritual faith personally. And, I attract people into my life who are like me as a result. And if you're really, really good about that, and you know, like attracts like. And so you want to know who you are. You want to know anything about yourself. Look at the top five people in your life, and that'll tell you a whole lot about who you are, you know? So I think that that, you know, is a good start. 
So I do have a free gift for your listeners, and that is my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet. And they can get that at winmynegotiation.com, W-I-N, mynegotiation.com. And it's my 15-page free ebook, which is amazing. It's totally free. And a lot of people have actually won their entire negotiations just on that. So I highly recommend that people just go grab that. So, yeah, I mean, you and you alone define your value. You know, don't let anyone else define your value. I mean, that's the the main thing that I want people to know. Don't let narcissists or anyone else define who you are. No one else gets to other than you. You versus you. I love that advice. And I like what you said a few minutes ago about the importance of your inner circle and who you spend time with because it's so true. And I think one of the things that's important for people to remember is that you're not always going to like everybody and not everybody's going to always like people always aren't going to like you. And that's, that's okay. Like we, we're going to go through life and we're going to have these experiences where we just don't jive with, with everybody. And that's okay. Hey, I always say, stop trying to make not your people, your people. Yeah. Some people are just not your people and that's okay. Yeah. And quality is so much better than quantity when it comes to your friendships and when it comes to your relationships. And I will definitely include the link to your giveaway in the show notes. And if somebody else like wants to check out your podcast, they want to check out the other stuff that my you've YouTube written, channel. YouTube. Definitely check out my YouTube channel. Yeah. You put in negotiate with a narcissist. You will most definitely find me. Just youtube.com forward slash Rebecca Zung ESQ. When I changed it from a personal channel to a business channel, it made me add the ESQ. So, yeah. So it's Rebecca Zung ESQ. And then Instagram is Rebecca Zung. And then my website is RebeccaZung.com. Awesome. I'll make sure to include all that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Rebecca said at the beginning about what a narcissist actually is. Maybe it was the abundance or the abundant amount of tactics that she shared as far as how to deal with a narcissist and communicate with a narcissist and also like improve your awareness around yourself to make sure that you're not falling into the traps that sometimes you get roped into with narcissists. Or maybe it was something that she said as far as like, how do you know if somebody is a narcissist or if they're just selfish and not not just throwing that term out without really getting to know somebody? Whatever the takeaway was, make sure to tag Rebecca and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.